Hello, Degrassi fans, and welcome to the one-year anniversary of the Degrassi Good Podcast, where we are sponsored by RetroKid. RetroKid is the only brand I know that makes clothing of your favorite TV shows from when you were a kid. If you were a fan of Uh-Oh, Reading Rainbow, Care Bears, or Degrassi, then RetroKid's got everything you need. With their exclusive Degrassi collection, RetroKid puts you right back in the halls of Degrassi Junior High, alongside your favorite characters like Joey, Wheels, Spike, or Snake. You can visit RetroKid.ca to shop their latest collection of official licensed Degrassi merch and head on over to patreon.com slash Degrassi kid where they sponsored our mail out tier for this month but for now enjoy this brand new episode of the Degrassi kid podcast wake up in the morning feeling shine of the energy I gotta go to school I don't think I can make it don't think I can take it I wonder what I'm gonna do but when I look around I see that someone What if Spike was anorexic? What if Nancy became a drug addict? And what would happen if someone brought a gun to school? These are all real storylines that were explored by the writers of Degrassi Junior High, but for some reason, they never made it into the show. Last summer, I visited Toronto with Degrassi's co-creator Linda Schuyler, where I was given access to boxes and boxes of old Degrassi memorabilia. I combed through fan letters, storyboards, casting calls, and unfinished Degrassi scripts, including the original planning documents for season one, two, and three of Degrassi Junior High. Each year, the writers sat down and asked questions like, how is Shane coping with the birth of his daughter? How will LD continue on with her feminist crusade? And will Joey Jeremiah and Vula still be fighting over Stephanie Kay's attention in season two? Today, I've picked out the top 10 craziest storylines that never happened on Degrassi Junior High. And you're only going to find them here on the anniversary episode of the Degrassi Kid Podcast. After the death of his parents, Wheels falls in with a bad crowd. That's the first line in the season three planning document for Degrassi Junior High. Some of the ideas we're exploring today are just bullet points. They're kind of conversation starters for the writers at the beginning of the season. Some of these documents are pretty detailed with stories that are planned for every single character in the show. And others are full-blown scripts that just never went to air. The first document is a summary of what's happening with Wheels in season three. It answers three questions. Where will he start? Where will he end? And how does he get there? It reads like this. After the death of his parents, Wheels falls in with a bad crowd. He can't get along with his aunt and uncle who don't know how to deal with an increasingly rebellious teenager. So he has to go live in a group home. By the end of the season, he will have overcome the new peer pressures and righted himself. But probably after an emotional catharsis, where he finally admits his feelings of anger, loss, loneliness, and all the unfinished business. Spike is the one who helps him through in the end. Wow, there is so much to break through just in that one little paragraph. First of all, we can kind of see the general outline of Wheels' story that still remains in the show. His story is all about him coping with the death of his parents, or maybe even not coping with the death of his parents. He struggles with his new guardians, he distances himself from his friends, and he goes through all those feelings of anger, loss, and loneliness that they describe in the outline. However, his journey of how he explores those emotions is completely different. Wheels doesn't really get in with a bad crowd, he just kind of distances himself from his old one. But honestly, the fun part about reading these scripts was trying to figure out why Degrassi made these changes. For example, in the show, Wheels is taken in by his grandparents, not his aunt and uncle. 
In my opinion, this decision actually changes a lot about how we perceive Wheels and his rebellious attitude. It's one thing to be a rebellious teenager against your aunt and uncle, who are probably in their 30s and just frustrated that you won't clean up around the house. But it's a different story to be rebellious towards your grandparents, who may be getting older and sicker and unable to take care of themselves. This kind of elevates the stakes and shows you that Wheels isn't trying to cope with the death of his parents. Instead, he's just getting frustrated that everyone sees him as a burden. The outline also suggests that Wheels would have gone to a group home and that Spike was there to comfort him in his final moments. I would have loved to see this happen because as we remember, these two have already shared a moment once before, when Spike went to Wheels for advice about adoption because he went through the same thing. Do you ever think about your real parents? Sometimes. Do you know anything about them or what happened? Not really. My dad said they were too young to keep me. I was born six in the morning. You're not mad at them for giving you up or anything? No. I don't think so. It would have been so interesting to see them come back together and have those roles kind of reversed, where Spike is now the one who's comforting Wheels. However, I don't really know how she would have comforted him. Would she talk about her new perspective as a parent? Would she talk about not knowing her dad? Or is there something new we might have learned about her along the way? Either way, Wheels' story was going to be a lot different than we expected, but ultimately stays true to the purpose of exploring anger, loss, and loneliness when you experience grief for the first time as a teenager. But I'm curious, how do you think Spike and Wheels would have connected over the storyline? If you're listening on Spotify, you can find a question that's pinned for you and let us know what you think. The ongoing saga of Spike. Listen closely to this one because I was shocked at how different Spike's storyline was from what actually happened in the show. It reads like this. Spike encounters all the problems and responsibilities of young parenthood. She has trouble getting her body back to the shape it used to be, leading her to a story about anorexia and bulimia. She always wanted to be a dancer, but you can't be fat and be a dancer, she thinks. And Spike can't escape the reputation as the girl who got pregnant in grade 8. Meanwhile, possibly complicating her life is the fact that her mom is seeing a new man. Mr. Radich. <gasps> what? Where do we even begin? First of all, this outline is similar to Wheels in the sense that the overall structure of her storyline stays the same. Like we do focus on Spike as she explores kind of the responsibilities, hardships, and judgments that come with being a young mom in high school. But literally everything else is completely different. <laughs> I do think it's probably common for a lot of teen moms to battle with body sensitivity and end up with some kind of eating disorder. But I just don't see Spike having that issue. I, I think that there's she has so many core beliefs about women empowerment and challenging the patriarchy that I don't think she'd have body image issues to that extreme. Like, of course, anyone can face those issues, but I would be surprised if Spike was the one to get them. I would more so see someone like Alexa or Stephanie Kay going through that if they had a pregnancy in high school. But it is interesting that they were going to make her a dancer because a fun behind the scenes fact is that Amanda Steptoe actually was a dancer in real life. She majored in dance when she attended art school. So it's likely that they were trying to fit that element in for Amanda because it was a skill that she had in real life. But overall, the only thing that really stays the same is that she can't shake the reputation of being that girl who got pregnant. Everything else kind of got washed away for her story in the planning stages. And I don't know about you, but I would have loved to see Spike deal with Mr. Radich becoming her stepdad. 
I think it actually would have been really good for her character specifically because she was having such a hard time balancing her home life and her school life. And I'm so curious about how Radish would handle that. Would he go out of his way to be more lenient because he actually sees her struggling at home? Or would he be harsher on her because he doesn't want to look like he's playing favorites? That's what I think he would do. I think he would kind of be an asshole about it, to be honest. (laughs) Also, just from like a fan perspective of the show, how iconic would it be for Emma and Spike to share such a similar storyline like that, where Spike's teacher becomes her stepdad the same way that Mr. Simpson became Emma's stepdad? Like, let's really break this down for a second, because Mr. Radich will become Spike's stepdad, Mr. Radich will become Snake's father-in-law, and Mr. Radich will become Emma's grandpa. What? And then if Emma and Spinner had a kid, Radich would be their great-grandfather. Oh my god, like my mind is blown. This is this just goes so deep. <laughs> but honestly, it is nothing compared to the next storyline where a Degrassi student brings a gun to school. First, I want to say a huge welcome to Nick, Micah, and Lily, who all joined the Degrassi Kid Patreon this week. Micah is our newest member with the Spirit Squad tier, which means that they get early access to every episode just like this one. Hi, Micah! Nick joined on as the ultimate Degrassi fan, giving them access to all of our upcoming Degrassi guest content. And Lily subscribed to the Degrassi Kid Patreon for a full year. Lily doesn't have to worry about those pesky monthly payments and instead gets the comfort of knowing they get unlimited access to Degrassi Kid content whenever they like. Thank you so much for Nick, Micah, and Lily for joining the Degrassi Kid Patreon. And now let's get back to the top 10 moments that never happened on Degrassi Junior High. Spike continues to reject Shane, who desperately wants to help with the baby. Meanwhile, he too continues to carry a reputation as the boy who got Spike pregnant. Shane's parents crack down on him hard. He has to come straight home after school, no parties, friends can only visit if his parents are home, and if he gets a mark any lower than a B, he's going straight to private school. Shane becomes increasingly isolated, morose and silent. Maybe one day he brings a gun to school and keeps it in his locker. Do we dare do an attempted suicide. Whoa, reading this genuinely stunned me. Like, we remember that a suicide episode doesn't happen for another two or three years when Claude brings a gun to school in Degrassi High. What's interesting is that on this document, the word gun was circled and written next to it are the words used by Spike. I'm not sure if that's in addition to the suicide storyline or maybe when they were reading through it together, they came up with an idea as a backup plan that Spike might use the gun instead. I don't even know what to say about this. Like, I I think that the plan that they had for Spike didn't really fit her character that well because we already knew so much about her. It didn't really feel right for her to become anorexic or a dancer, kind of out of the blue. But because we don't know that much about Shane, they really had a lot of leeway to play with his character and do something drastic, which they ultimately do when they have him take LSD and jump off a bridge at the Gourmet Scum concert. But this document makes me wonder... Were Shane's actions intentional? Does this kind of confirm that Shane jumping off the bridge was actually meant to be an attempted suicide? Or does it just kind of confirm that Shane was a disposable character who was in the way of Spike's growth and development? I really don't know. But either way, these storylines that were planned for Spike and Shane never ended up happening on the show. But what about those moments on Degrassi that still happened, but just to different characters? Mom, I'm pregnant. The iconic line said by a young teenage Spike. However, this storyline was originally meant for Stephanie Kay. After she followed through on that campaign promise, 
of going all the way. Linda Schuyler actually talked about this in her memoir, The Mother of Old Degrassi. She explains that they considered two different characters before ultimately settling on Spike. But how would the story have changed if it went to Stephanie Kay? Would Shane still be the father? Would Stephanie keep her baby? Or would she be the first one to tackle abortion long before Erica ever did in Degrassi High? Well, actually, we have to go back even further than that. Do you remember the episode where Wheels goes to the pharmacy? He buys some condoms and finds out that he bought them from Stephanie's mom. Well, that episode was actually meant to happen with Joey Jeremiah. This storyline specifically comes from the season one planning document of Degrassi Junior High, where all the same story elements are basically there, but with completely different characters. For example, do you remember that storyline where Lucy steals a scarf and she gets Vula in trouble? Well, it was actually Joey who was supposed to have that storyline. He wanted to impress his new girlfriend, Stephanie Kay, and get her a really nice gift for her birthday. He chose a CD called 80 Hot Hits of the 80s, and it was an astounding $20. When he finally saves up enough money and goes back to the store, he sees it's now 30 bucks for the CD. But he really wants to impress Steph, so he just ends up stealing it. When Stephanie finds out, she tries to return it by sneaking it back into the store, but she ends up getting caught leading to both of them fessing up, getting in trouble, and getting stuck with cleaning duties all around the mall. This relationship continues to develop, and the two end up having sex, or so they think anyway, resulting in the iconic episode called It's Late, but with Stephanie Kay. This is one of the episodes where I actually have the complete full breakdown of what was meant to happen, including Stephanie contemplating abortion, Rula's reaction to her pregnancy, and Stephanie's dad being the one who helps them through the process, a suggestion that's actually made to her by Arthur after he hears rumors spreading around the school. If you want to read the full outline and see all the kind of Degrassi documents that I had access to, you can go to patreon.com slash DegrassiKid. It will be accessible for everyone to read, so whether you're a subscriber or not, you'll be able to view it. But I mean, if you're already there, you might as well sign up. <laughs> There is so much to break down in this one document that there is just literally no way I can even begin to cover it all. But I think it's really important to note that the entire history of Degrassi would have changed if Stephanie Kay and Joey Jeremiah had a baby in season one. At one point, they even consider marriage. And if you listen to my breakdown on the original script for Degrassi Schools Out, you know that Joey ended up in this exact same situation with Tessa Campanelli. They get pregnant, they decide against an abortion, and they wind up throwing their lives away so they can get married and start a family in high school. And I'm just so curious on why they wanted Joey Jeremiah to have a baby so freaking badly. <laughs> We're also really lucky that Stephanie didn't get the storyline because the actress, Nicole Stoffman, chose to leave Degrassi after two seasons. She wanted to become a professional actress and pursue other options, which is totally fine, but that likely means we wouldn't have gotten the return of baby Emma in season one of The Next Generation. But I'm really excited to hear what you think. Go to Patreon, read the outline, and leave a comment about how you think this story would have changed Degrassi. One thing that's interesting to note is that I have almost no notes on the character Snake. I've seen the original script for the episode called He Ain't Heavy, which is where Snake's brother comes out of the closet. But honestly, not much changed from the original idea to the final conception that we see on screen. If anything, the only real difference is that Snake's brother was originally called Steve, and in the TV show, he's called Glenn. That's pretty much the biggest difference. 
One thing that's super interesting is that he didn't appear in any of the planning documents for season one because the role of Snake was specifically made for Stefan Brogren. Stefan auditioned for Joey, and even though they didn't think he was a good fit, Linda said that he made such a great impression on them that they just had to write him in the show. So it makes sense that Snake didn't appear in any of the early planning documents. And I just have to throw this fun fact out there because I thought it was so cool. You know the Jeep that Glenn Simpson drives in the episode? Well, that actually belonged to Stefan's mom in real life. Her name is Sheila Brogren, and she let them use it for the day for rehearsals, for filming, and they ended up paying her $200 for it. And the reason I know that is because I got access to even all the boring financial documents, <laughs> which I thought was super cool. But the next story I actually want to talk about is Liz. We remember that Caitlin and Liz have an episode together about animal abuse. Liz is very anti-animal abuse and teaches Caitlin how unethical it is, while there's some characters like Trish who bring a little bit more reality to the story because her dad works in an animal testing facility, and it also helps Caitlin with her epilepsy indication. Well, this change isn't major, but before they started filming, the storyline was actually meant to happen because Caitlin started volunteering at the Humane Society. In the outline, it's her love of animals that prompts her to bring these issues to school with her and then into the student newspaper. It's not that big of a change, but I thought it was really interesting to find out why this change happened. There was a note from Linda Schuyler that says, overall, the action is not restricted to school. It can happen at home, in the street, coffee shops, arcades, but remember, kids spend almost half of their waking hours in school. If it's not necessary to set a scene in the right field of a baseball game at Exhibition Stadium, then please don't do it. Remember, our production manager has to actually secure these locations. <laughs> I thought that was super funny, but it's interesting to see that something as simple like, oh, we couldn't film at the Humane Society, so we'll just change it to happening here. I think that's so interesting on how those little kind of things make an impact on the overall story. Whenever I do research like this, it's always kind of a reality check for me of like, oh, they really were just making a TV show. Like not every single little thing is motivated by something major. It can be something as small as a location change. Um, but the next story by far would have been my all-time favorite Degrassi episode if it actually happened. Rumor has it, Annie's a lesbian. <gasps> there was going to be a lesbian character named Annie on Degrassi Junior High. Are you kidding me? When I found this out, I actually immediately messaged Annie Clark because I was like, this is my favorite episode of Degrassi and it never even happened. <laughs> now, we do actually meet Annie, but she only appears for a few episodes in Degrassi Junior High. She's that girl in the red beret who protests against Stephanie Kay's election campaign, just being utterly disgusted that she's kissing boys for votes. And in the episode where Caitlin questions her sexuality, she talks about Miss Avery being a lesbian, setting us up for this amazing gay joke on Degrassi. So what time last to come over, Caitlin? Around six. Susie and I've got some stuff to do in the darkroom first. Oh, wow, it's gonna be so much fun. We can eat popcorn and talk about boys all night. Annie, you're such a pervert. It's perfectly normal to think about boys. What else is there to think about? Oh, girls. <laughs> After that, Annie pretty much disappears from the show, which is interesting because Annie was actually meant to be a huge character and get several plot lines in the series. I would put her up there with someone like Caitlin Ryan or Stephanie Kay for how much airtime she got in the show. And that's not to say the actress was going to be in a lot of these scenes. She may have been hired after they made all these changes. But if you read any planning document for season one of Degrassi Junior High, Annie is a main character in it. <laughs> First of all, Annie was meant to get caught smoking, a storyline that ultimately went to Rick Monroe at the end of the season. Annie is one of the girls who helped Stephanie through her pregnancy scare, giving her advice on either how to induce an abortion or how to stop a pregnancy. 
I'm not really sure because they're also not really sure. But ultimately, the episode where Caitlin has dreams about Miss Avery is actually written from Annie's point of view. The tagline for the episode says, Annie has dreams about Miss Avery. Is she gay? She doesn't want to be. And that is exactly it. When you're growing up in the closet, you don't realize that thinking, I don't want to be gay and I'm not gay, are two different thoughts. This episode would have been a game changer because it focuses on Annie being gay and Miss Avery kind of just being an object of her desire. Miss Avery does give some advice at the end of the episode and says, the key is to not feel guilty. If it turns out that you're gay, you mustn't hate yourself. That is direct and clear advice that would have made a huge impact on queer youth in the 80s if they were allowed to hear it. But instead, because of broadcasters, the story has to mainly focus on Miss Avery and her potential sexuality, and less so about teenagers like Caitlin or Annie. You cannot give teenagers sexual autonomy unless they're straight. <laughs> but in Caitlin's version, the episode ends like this. Miss Avery, I think you're a really good teacher. And I'm sorry I thought you were gay. There's nothing to be sorry for. Besides, would it make any difference if I were? The story is now about accepting other people who might be gay and not about accepting yourself for just being who you are. This is actually something I struggled with growing up because I knew that being a lesbian meant an adult woman who likes other women. But what did it mean for me as a teenager who likes girls? Anyway, Annie also mirrors Caitlin in the fact that she has a crush on Rick. There was actually an entire episode called Head Over Heels where Annie pursues Rick and then asks him out on a date. Except Rick has a crush on LD and doesn't realize that Annie's asked him on a date. From his point of view, he said he'll be at the skating rink this Saturday and she just kind of invited herself along. But Rick is actually going there because he has a date with LD. There's actually some pretty cute moments between them where LD is talking about her favorite music and then later when Rick's getting ready, you can hear him listening to it. That was, oh, that was really cute. But meanwhile, Annie is getting ready with her two best friends, Stephanie and Vula. They're trying to make her over into the bad girl that they think Rick would want her to be. Annie, Vula, and Steph are all kind of this trio who spend every episode together getting directly involved in each other's drama. But in the end, this episode is clearly scrapped as Annie never really becomes a character. Though I think it would have been interesting if Annie went from thinking she's gay to having such an intense crush on Rick. As a lesbian, I would have taken this as Annie trying to overcompensate for her queerness and convince herself that she likes boys. But with it being the 1980s, that's dreaming really big and we would never get such a complex gay character on teen television. Another episode that was completely scrapped was called The Dreamers. It was labeled as an episode about secret thoughts. It focused on Vula as she keeps a diary about her secret crush, writing very creatively about how they would spend their personal alone time together. This is an episode that really focuses on the rivalry between Joey Jeremiah and Vula. Vula's become jealous that Stephanie spends so much time with Joey, and Joey's jealous that Vula's always getting in the way. He overhears Vula saying where she hides her diary and he plans to steal it so he can spread it all around the school. He finds it in her locker and begins reading it out loud in the hallway. Here's what the outline says. Now, 10 guys are standing around and listening to Joey's theatrical reading of Vula's diary. It's mostly pedestrian, but they find it amusing. Note, let's try to make it refer to events that happened in earlier episodes. I thought that was so cool. But the most interesting part is this. Vula describes her secret heartthrob and it's Arthur! <gasps> in the script, Vula runs up to Joey in the hall and tries to stop him from reading any further. But then he tosses it over to Jason, and Jason holds it up right high and immediately starts reading the next passage. 
which says, It's amazing how Joey can be so pitiful, insecure, and immature. He thinks he's a leader when he's actually a follower. <gasps> now the tables have turned, and Joey's the one who's starting to get embarrassed. He really wants Jason to stop reading the diary, but Jason thinks it's hilarious because he's getting lots and lots of laughs from all the guys around him. In the end, Joey and Jason get into a bit of a tumble, and Jason ends up giving Joey a black eye, which I believe transitions into the storyline where Rick is being abused, and people think it's actually Joey, but I may be making that up because I did not take any notes when I read that script. <laughs> but anyway, it's still interesting to see how much they wanted to explore this kind of developing rivalry between Vula and Joey, just because of their connections to Stephanie Kay. But to be honest, even if this episode happened in Degrassi Junior High, I don't think it would really change much about the show. I think if Arthur and Vula dated, for example, it might lead to some awkward moments between them. But instead, I think it would be mostly used to compare them to Joey and Stephanie, who are kind of rushing into sex and trying to have a more mature relationship ahead of their time. But ultimately, it wasn't really a high stakes situation that impacted the franchise like some of the other stories did. However, I did leave the best for last because this next storyline is one that I would have never expected, and I don't think you will either. Season 3, Episode 8, Black and Blue. The issue? Racism. The brief outline for this episode is all about the twins, and it goes like this. Heather and Erica both start to crush on BLT. After a few flirty moments earlier in the season, we find out that BLT likes one of the twins back. He likes Erica. After Heather finds out, she gets upset and uses racism as a mask for her jealousy. Is this going to be our racism storyline at last? There's not any more expanded on the storyline. It doesn't go as far as getting a full beat-by-beat -beat breakdown like some of the other storylines we explored. I think it's pretty clear that they changed their idea for this pretty early on in the planning process, especially since we don't even get examples of how she's going to use racism to hide her jealousy. If I had to guess, though, I would say maybe it's by telling her parents. I think that for two reasons. One, later we get some insight in the abortion episode that they don't always feel like they can tell their parents everything because of how strict their religion is. And two, because... Degrassi never lets its main characters be racist. Even when we do get a racism storyline between Michelle and BLT, it's Michelle's dad who's racist towards him, not someone at school. There's a moment where BLT is called the N-word, but again, it's during a time where they're taking classes at Borden High, and it's not said by a student who's from Degrassi, a student that we know, or a student that we ever see again. So I think it's actually really interesting that in the early stages of development, they were considering an idea where a well-liked Degrassi student weaponizes racism against another well-liked Degrassi student. I personally believe that Degrassi struggles with this concept throughout the entire franchise, because with literally every other issue, they see the benefit of making real Degrassi kids unlikable. Like, they'll have Degrassi students who are openly transphobic, homophobic, or just straight-up bullies, but we very rarely see them be openly racist. The closest thing I can think of is when we see Hazel be xenophobic in season two when she bullies another Muslim student. But I don't know if I can think of a time where like a well-known white Degrassi student was openly racist to a well-known black Degrassi student. I think the only time they even come close to this is in Degrassi Next Class when Zig tells Goldie that all Muslims are suicide bombers. Why would I have the inside scoop on suicide bombers? Well, aren't they mostly Muslim? Islam does not condone killing. Well, I don't see any G.I. Joe strapping bombs to their chest. I think this storyline in Degrassi Next Class actually does capture the idea that kids at Degrassi can be racist, but the problem is, is that it happens 27 years after this story idea with Heather and BLT. 
Other than that, nothing immediately comes to mind where they tackle racism between two main characters who are in conflict with each other. So I think the storyline with Heather would have been really powerful and maybe even changed the way that they told stories about race in the future. Because when you bring in guest stars to do these episodes or you wait until the students are at a different school, then you kind of suggest that racism can't happen to Degrassi, which is really weird because literally everything else does. The biggest question I have for each of these storylines is why did Degrassi make these changes? Some of them I can guess, but others I just honestly have no idea. I do know that in every season of Degrassi, they start out with something called a blue sky meeting, where any and every idea is tossed out, even if it seems impossible. Even if you put your main characters in the center of a baseball game, as is happening. <laughs> but at this kind of development stage, all of these plot lines have been taken seriously. They're all stories that they were willing to put on TV. So what changed? Luckily, for some of these storylines, we actually do get answers. Linda Schuyler's book does a great job at breaking down why certain decisions were made, either because of a personal choice or the broadcasters getting in the way. But I'm really curious to know, why didn't they explore a main character being racist? What would happen if Annie really was a cigarette-smoking lesbian who hid in the closet? And how would Joey Jeremiah actually fare out as a 14-year-old teenage father? My favorite part about reading all of these outlines was the note written by Linda Schuyler, which said, when you're writing, don't sweat about getting it right. The kids who are living in these real worlds would have input for you. Remember, writing is an evolutionary process. I think it's so cool that right from the get-go, Linda and her team saw the value of using the most valuable resource they had available to them. They had access to real teenagers with real opinions who might have been able to change some of these storylines. I really admire and respect the fact that they took these young kids seriously enough and relied on them to help shape their show and make it more accessible to kids. The outline also notes that ultimately, by the end of each episode, the main character should come to a new understanding of the issues and his or her feelings about it. This isn't to say that everything is hunky-dory. Some discoveries are painful. Oh, I love that so much. If anything, I think the showrunners for a new Degrassi reboot could really benefit by going back and reading a lot of these early planning documents for Degrassi Junior High. For example, I was able to read the show Bible. A show Bible is a document that outlines the general rules for a TV show. It's an easy way if you have new writers join the show in season nine, for example, then they're all on the same page when it comes to the rules of the game even if they aren't familiar with all the storylines that came years before it. One of the rules in Degrassi Junior High is that the kids must be kids, not stand-up comedians, for example. While Joey Jeremiah may think he's Robin Williams, he's not. Instead, Joey will throw out bad one-liners like, women are like streetcars. If you wait around long enough, another will come right around the corner. <laughs> I think Degrassi Next Class lost its way in its earlier seasons when they tried too hard to capture how they think Gen Z speaks instead of capturing how teenagers speak. In season one, for example, I find that Zoe and Tristan are throwing around a lot of these quick-witted, zappy one-liners that are clearly crafted by adults who are writing a TV show. Other than that, though, a lot of the core values that are established in Degrassi Junior High continue on to the next generation and throughout the rest of the series. They maintain that all the actors should be age-appropriate, not every story wraps up in a perfect ending, and they show all sides of an issue. They don't just lecture teenagers on what they should or shouldn't be doing. I actually found even more storylines that were just completely cut from the show altogether. And if you're subscribed to the Degrassi Kids tier or higher on Patreon, you'll get all of that as a special bonus episode. Every month I make a little piece of extra bonus content just as a thank you for supporting me. And remember, everyone can go see the outline for Stephanie K's pregnancy episode, which is crazy. <laughs> but for now, let's say thank you to our supporters on the Degrassi Kid Patreon and a thanks to you for celebrating one year of the Degrassi Kid Podcast. Bye guys! 
Thank you to Amber, Amory, Annie, Becca, Brittany, Chrissy, Dave, Degrassi, CSI, Evie, Emily, Glenn, Gina, Georgia, Hannah, Josephens, Julia, Julianne, Kat, Kylia, Holly J. Wonders, Lauren, Max, Marisa, Mark, Owen, Rachel, Randy, Rebecca from the Trail Mix Podcast, Ruby, Sarah J, Sawyer, SB, Shane, Shelby, Sierra, Sunita, Susan, Trevor, Victoria, Vince, and my best friend, Stevie Jarawa. You guys are the best. Thank you. Bye.